Um, yeah, so our first hire was actually um, a, um, I had a product. Um, and that might surprise you why we would be focused on, uh, you know, bringing in someone with that skill set as a first hire. But um, I'll, I'll expand on that a little bit. But before I do, you know, one of the things that we've, you know, I'd, I'd like to mention is, is when you are, you know, in an early stage, hiring is, is one of the key, key, key things that you need to get right. Hello and welcome to the Digital Spaceship Podcast, a marketing journal hosted by Blue Drop Studio co-founder Anna Rowinska and myself, Omar Juman. This podcast has one vision, and that is to educate, inform, and inspire others who are trying to build their tech brand. Tune in and listen to us chat ideation, marketing, scaling, and everything in between with up-and-coming entrepreneurs, stakeholders, and investors in tech startups across the world. We'll be diving into the details and also hearing about the journey. So without further ado, let's jump into this week's episode. In this episode, we're speaking with Eric, co-founder at Selen. Selen is a health tech startup on a mission to improve the health and well-being of people living with chronic conditions. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Digital Spaceship Podcast, a marketing journal. Um, today we're talking with Eric uh, from Selen Health Therapeutics. Um, lovely to have you on the show, Eric. Uh, let us know a little bit about yourself and what it is you guys are doing over at Selen Health. Sure. Thank you very much for inviting me to this. It's, uh, it's, a, great, uh, it's a great podcast. I'm very happy to be part of it. Thank you. Um, so I'm, uh, I'm Eric. I'm one of the co-founders of, of Selen. Um, and we are effectively a medical uh, cannabis company uh, here in the UK. Um, our primary uh, business is that we um, compound final uh, medical cannabis products uh, to distribute to patients that have an unmet clinical need um, in the UK. Okay. Um, that's that's in short what what we're what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Awesome, and I know. Um sort of in terms of the whole, I guess, the landscape of the the cannabis industry, especially over here in the UK, um, and of course, across Europe is uh, to the, I guess, the, the common individual like myself, it's, it's quite a mystery. Um, there's a ton of things that I certainly mm-hmm. don't understand in, in terms of, um, I guess, legalization and applications, whether that be recreational and medicinal and stuff like that. There's you know, there's a, a lot of clouded information about that space. So it's, an, it, I think it's super exciting and very interesting um, how you guys are actually building a, a company based within that space. Uh, you're certainly the mm. first that we'll have on the podcast, but um, also one of the first that I've spoken to actually in general. Um, and I think it's, yeah, it's, it's such a, I think an incredibly interesting space. We've seen from, I guess, a bystander point of view, massive growth in other industries and other countries. And it would be interesting to see, you know, how you think that that's going to evolve within Europe and and the UK and um, what the applications are medicinally. So how did you guys um, come up with the idea? How did you get involved in in the first place? Yeah, no, it's it's a a great question. And I think, 
you know, uh, to put some context into, um, into your opening of comments there around medical cannabis, I think you're absolutely right that, you know, I think a large part of, of um, the population today at least understands that it has to a certain extent been available as a therapeutic in North America. But, you know, to your point, they're, they're still amongst the general population, um, not that common knowledge that we actually are able to prescribe medical cannabis in the UK today. Mm. Uh, and you know, for us, the, the the sort of the starting point was was quite naturally when um, when medical cannabis was rescheduled in the UK from a Schedule One to a Schedule Two drug, and that happened in you know November two thousand and eighteen. Um, and I think you know the the um, the expectation, at least from from patient groups uh, and the general market, was that this would effectively be a medicine that would become widely available mm-hmm. um, and you know, for all those patients, and, and we have a huge amount of patients in the UK that just have an unmet clinical need, and we know that cannabis has some form of, so, some therapeutic benefits, like, you know, they, they really, um, they had an expectation that this would be easily, easy to access at that point. But we noticed very quickly that that wasn't the case, unfortunately. And, you know, if we look two years, two years on, uh, or almost two years on, there's still very few patients, I think the number is around about 500 patients or so, mm-hmm. right? Where we got involved in this is we actually started looking at, um, you know, where can we um, can add value, and particularly around patient access. And I should mention that my co-founder, um, uh, Dr. Benjamin Villares Lazenio, is is actually an incredibly inspiring doctor who does bridges the gap between sort of being a doctor and innovation and health tech very very well, right? And so we got together and started looking at how, what are the key problems in the market and how, how can we add value, okay? Mm-hmm. And we, we boiled it down to basically three big um, um, problems that needed to be addressed. The first was the lack of, of uh, prescribing uh, doctors in the UK. So a little bit of context around that. The way the regulations have been written is that medical cannabis can only be prescribed by specialist clinicians in their speciality. And on top of that, they need to have some form of education as to how to do the prescriptions, mm-hmm. right? That that actually narrows the set of prescribing doctors a lot, right? And so we thought very much about, you know, how can we try and unlock that by looking at various, you know, digital plays as to how can we um, improve the doctor-patient interaction. And that was something we looked into quite heavily. But, you know, the real problem we know, we, 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 um, we found was it's actually getting high quality medical cannabis products into the country and to be able to dispense them and distribute them to patients. Mm-hmm. In other words, you can have a doctor that prescribes, but unless you can actually deliver the medicine, there's no, there's no real value to the patients. So we focused very much on, on the supply chain and we spent, you know, the best part of one year trying to uh, procure and understand the supply chain side of the, the equation and you know we um, we we found partners in the industry that have been operating um, you know for five six years in this space and and, and have a fantastic uh, supply chain. Um, so together with them, we launched effectively selling to really focus on trying to solve the uh, um, uh, the supply chain and bring products to market. Um, so that's where that's where we started. That's how we came uh, came about selling and 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 how we're sort of progressing. What really is interesting, and I think where we have a little bit of an innovative approach to the market, is we're not 
we're not deploying what I call an import and distribution model, which basically means importing final products and then distributing them to patients and pharmacies, right? What we're doing is we're bringing in the raw materials and then we're working with contract manufacturers here in the UK to manufacture the final products for patients. And this has a tremendous amount of benefit for, 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 for patients. Primarily what it allows us to do is it allows us to tailor make med med the medicines mm -hmm. for patients. So, you know, there's various examples of how patients react differently or need different dosing or concentrations of the medicines. And that's exactly what we're about, making that a personal okay. medic medication. Um, so, yeah, so that's in short what, how we came about the idea and, 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 and how we progressed to, to where we are today. Yeah, super interesting. I mean, you mentioned there that, um, and this is this is sort of a, a side side note, and almost if you could bust this myth for me, but I suppose it's um, it's a common thing that I've heard in the UK um, from a bunch of different business owners that the UK is actually one of the largest suppliers of medicinal cannabis mm. to external um, countries or, or governing bodies um, throughout Europe. Uh, it, is that true? Yes. And if so, it is true. It is true. Wow. Um, so it's a GW Pharma, uh, mm -hmm. who has a licensed product, um, is uh, you know the largest um, you know producer of, of, of medical cannabis products, um, and that is that is true. So the difference in what they have is, as I mentioned, it's a it's a licensed product, which means that they have gone through clinical trials mm -hmm. and brought a, a product to it, uh, which um, uh, you know, which has gone through the sort of phases of, of randomized control trials and, and then uh, achieving a marketing authority, which then allows them to distribute the products globally. That is true. Um, the space we're operating in and, 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 and uh, is the unlicensed um, uh, medical, can medical cannabis products. Um, and it addresses a different clinical need for patients today. Um, so said differently, not all of the um, use cases or pathologies where medical cannabis is seen to have a therapeutic benefit mm -hmm. um, are addressed by the products brought to market through, um, uh, you know, through, through the licensing uh, route today, right? Mm -hmm. And so what we're doing is we're operating in that unlicensed space where we are, um, you know, addressing, you know, other, uh, other therapeutic areas such as, you know, chronic pain or, um, you know, epilepsy and so on and so forth. Yeah, so that's, that's, that's the difference. But, you know, I do want to touch on something you mentioned, which is, which is very interesting, which is, um, you know, the UK is, is, you know, a cluster of some of the brightest and best pharmaceutical mindsets in anywhere in the world. Right. So I think what is very interesting in, um, for the UK is to harness effectively what we hope is to become a domestic industry where mm -hmm. you know, we approach cannabis, um, you know, as a, as a therapeutic drug, something that actually can be um, a medicine. Um, and I think we're just at the tip of the iceberg when it comes to, to, to that journey. Um, and so, you know, I think there's a lot of, a lot of interesting, uh, um, a lot of interesting work and research that will be done in the UK going forward here. So. Yeah. Incredible. Um, and I imagine, you know, considering you guys, are, you mentioned you're operating very much within that unlicensed space of products. Um, you know, in terms of funding then, um, and, and actually getting all of your operations off the ground, I'm sure, you know, that probably came with a lot of hoops to jump through, um, a lot of hands to shake. How did, how did that 
Or I yeah. guess, how did you guys approach that? And, and did you successfully manage to raise funds? Yeah, it's 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 a very good question. Um, we um, we bootstrapped the company for the first year, year and a half. Um, you know, and you know our approach was very much to deploy a very lean uh, model. Um, mm -hmm. So we didn't um, you know try and and uh, and and build a vertically integrated company to begin with, with a lot of capital investments and so on and so forth. Uh, what we really focused on was was um, you know, tr being able to just bring access to patients, right? And that was a somewhat lean model for us in the beginning. Um, so we then we then did a small uh, seed round, um, which uh, you know is helping us to um, you know fund some of the research projects that we are um, you know engaging with. One of them is 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 called Project Twenty Twenty One, which is um, a project which is run by an independent, um, set up as a charity in drug sciences is, is, is the name. Um, and you know, there the intention is to create, um, you know, Europe's large, largest single, um, uh, body of data where we're going to be treating or the aspirations to treat 20,000 patients over the course of two and a half years. And of course, that's where we needed a little bit more capital to be able to invest in the project like that. And so, yeah. and so that's how we frame the funding. Um, I'd say we've been pretty lucky in the sense that, um, you know, we were very quick to be able to be revenue generating, and mm -hmm. therefore the, the sort of funding journey was slightly easier for us. Um, but you know, one of the big challenges we certainly see in in, in funding in general in, in, in the cannabis space is that some of the traditional funding routes aren't really available. So, you know, if you yeah. look at some of the PCs, they still have restrictions to investing in 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 cannabis, right? Um, so there's more alternative sources that you've had, we've had to sort of look at, you know, and, and, and be that if it's, um, you know, we're looking at various grants as a, an example. Um, but you know, there's also a network of high net worth individuals and, and family offices that seems to be more advanced in their thinking than, than maybe some of the traditional, um, the, some of the traditional VCs so far. Sure. And, and you mentioned that, you know, there's some of the more traditional routes are a bit restricted in, in terms of investment. Is that, um, you know, out of curiosity, is that because they simply do not want to have their image associated with cannabis? Um, or is that more of a, a legal restriction in place that as a, a VC, you know, their company has, has certain, I guess, guidelines to abide by from a legal point of view? Yeah, because I mean, I, I obviously can't comment, uh, you know, too much on, on on how the VCs operate, but that sure. is certainly, you know, that is certainly our experience is that there are many VCs that are restricted in, you know, from their LPs and in investing okay. in in yeah. medical cannabis, right? Yeah. So even though they might like the business model, even though they might like, you know, the the uh, the sector, they're just restricted from from the from the LPs behind them that are that, that are funding it. Um, so so. You know, I think that's changing slightly, but but that's certainly what we've experienced today. And you, you know, we've seen in the UK at least the um, you know one of the other restrictions is is um, a, you know a very legal one, which is um, actually the um, Criminal Proceeds Act, which effectively states that you know if you're raising funds from um, any activity which is deemed illegal outside of the you know outside of the UK, then you know that can be seized if that money is invested in the UK. And of course, if you look at some of the bigger organizations um, that also are involved in recreational cannabis, which is still deemed as an illegal activity in the UK, 
they can't deploy that investment, right? Yeah. So, so it also limits some of the opportunity or some of the capital coming in from those bigger companies that would like to deploy some of that in the UK. So, cool. Um, uh, thank you for that. And and just one more question, touching on that, then, because um, of course, on the show, this is you know primarily meant for people who who maybe they've got an idea, they want to actually turn that into a real thing, or you know maybe they're halfway down the route of actually building a team, building a product out. Mm. Um, you know, are there any places specifically within, you know, the pharmaceutical or medicinal cannabis industry um, that you could recommend people check out, say, if they did have an idea, maybe there are some, I'm not sure how it works in that industry, but accelerators, incubators, or even, you know, uh, networks of investors in which you could approach um, with an idea? Um, so we are a, a, a fairly small uh, knit community still. Um, so, you know, I would encourage everyone actually just to reach out to us. We are very collaborative in our approach. And, yeah. and, and I think we have a pretty good idea of what, what we need as an industry. Mm-hmm. Um, there are also um, industry sort of events and meetups. Um, there's one in particular uh, run by um, an organization called Provision Partners, which is called First Wednesdays, mm-hmm. um, which is a good event to network and to meet people and to see what, um, you know, what, what people are, are working on in different projects. Um, so I think that they would be uh, good starting points. Um, yeah. yeah. Cool. Thanks. Yeah, it's an interesting thing because there's definitely like, you know, we've seen t- or spoken to tons of incubators and accelerators and stuff mm. like that. But just within that space specifically, it's, as I mentioned earlier, very cloudy and I'm not, not too sure. So yeah. that's really valuable. Thank you. Um, definitely recommend anyone to reach out should they want to get involved or, or come up with any cool ideas. I'm sure that that industry is just going to absolutely blow up at one point, especially over here in the UK. Um, mm. It's certainly worth being ahead of the curve on that one. Um, mm. So jumping back to, to Selen then, um, I know we took a bit of a, a side route, but um, you know, having gone through your funding rounds, um, how did you initially start building the teams internally? And I know you wanted to, mm. to bootstrap it and keep it very lean, and, but what yeah. were those initial teams that you, you brought together? Was it mainly R&D? Was it you know, development? How did that look like? Um, yeah, so our first hire was actually um, a, um, I had a product, um, and that might surprise you why we would be focused on, uh, you know, bringing in someone with that skill set as a first hire, but um, I'll, I'll expand on that a little bit. But before I do, you know, one of the things that we've, you know, I'd, I'd like to mention is, is when you are, you know, in an early stage, hiring is, is one of the key, key, key things that you need to get right. Um, and, you know, the philosophy that we've deployed, uh, at least, is, you know, we shouldn't be hiring to reduce our, our daily to-do list, right? We should, we should be hiring people that we think can bring us to the next level of where the company needs to go, that has a skill set that none of us in the team have. Um, and that's what's so important, to complement the skill sets we have and, 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 and really, you know, build the company uh, on that basis. And so we, we hired a head of product because... You know, what we've noticed very much is um, in order to be successful in delivering licensed drug-like medical cannabis, where we are constantly, um, you know, struggling against the connotation that cannabis still has mm-hmm. um, in, in able to, uh, and, you know, educate prescribers, is we need to actually think about how we, can, um, how we can bring other added services to the marketplace, right? And that includes things like having a, uh, you know, a 
um, a portal for clinicians and doctors where they can, you know, log in, they can get more information about, you know, what's the latest research, how do you actually go about prescribing the product, how do you set your clinic up, um, so on and so forth. So there's a whole list of services we've noticed that is actually lacking as just support for, for the industry. And that's where, you know, we, 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 uh, we brought in our head of product to sort of help define that and help actually go about a pretty robust user research um, exercise and then, you know, start to bring to market some of those, some of those products. And of course, it was very timely with, um, uh, uh, you know, we, 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 brought, we brought our head of product in the beginning of February and, you know, we've noticed how important that's been as, as the healthcare system has become more and more digital. You know, it was going in that direction already, but of course, it's just accelerated so much with the, with the pandemic that we're going through at the moment yeah. where you know, consultations are moving online, pharmacies are, you know, online pharmacies, et cetera. It's, it's all moving into an online space. So, so that's, been, that's been our first hire. Um, yeah. Very interesting. That's... Um... I think that's that's such an important point is hiring people that can help you know take you to that next level um, rather than so. looking at reducing it. I think that's a really good point of view and, and a, a great way of saying it is is not trying to reduce your daily to do list, but but actually looking for someone to take you to the next level. And I think that that's we've definitely seen um, some startups or worked in startups as consultants <coughs> where they would be considered guilty of that. You know, um, and, yeah. Just, and it just helps propel you and accelerate that uh, growth. It does. And, and, you know, the temptation is there to hire someone to help you with your day-to-day, -day, right? But, you know, what we've noticed is, is that often it's just a question of, of refocusing and reprioritizing in terms of what really is important and what mm -hmm. you really need to get done. But, you know, you can't compensate for bringing in, um, you know, a skill set that you just don't have in the team. It just brings the whole company to the next level. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough choice. The other thing I'll mention is, um, you know, it's, it's, is hiring talent is, is expensive. But I think if you are at an early stage, you shouldn't be afraid of taking that leap as well. As in, you know, it might look scary to, to bring in, um, you know, someone that, that comes at, you know, potentially bigger hire or that, you know, requires some equity. Um, you know, I'd, I'd encourage really to, to, um, you know, to, to think, to think about the value rather than the actual cost, you know, um, yeah. and that's something that I think is super important when you go into that, that hiring process. Cool. Um, interesting. So then m moving on to, uh, what I really want to sort of have a conversation around actually is, you know, mm -hmm. it, you guys at this point, um, would you consider yourself very consumer facing as a brand? And, and, and if so, um, how did you go about creating that brand and what was the, you know, the <clears> thought process? <throat> when did that become a, a conversation? When did you talk about brand values? Did you work with an external agency, that mm. type of stuff? So how did that come up? Uh, you know, branding is a super, super interesting um, concept when we talk about medical cannabis. And, and yeah. why do I say that? Well, it's because, you know, if you think about what cannabis means to most people still, um, at least, you know, for three generations, it, this is, you know, cannabis has been thought of as a, you know, an illegal drug, which, you know, came about on the, you know, the war on drugs and, you know, uh, 
you would effectively, you know, go to jail if you were, you know, caught you know, with, with cannabis. I mean, that is three generations that where, where cannabis has had that connotation, right? The, the, the shift now has been more and more and increasing so is, is, you know, the medical aspects of it, like the therapeutic drug, right? Um, and so when we think about branding in the, in the context, even for selling, but just generally speaking in the marketplace, we are up against that challenge, which yeah. is to try and re-educate the population about the therapeutic benefits and that actually there, is, uh, th there, th there are properties in here which can be used to treat people and it, therefore it's a medicine. And also if you look at sort of the age groups, right? I mean, if you look at the recreational markets, it's often been, um, you know, people in their sort of, uh, you, you know, 40 and below, right? Whereas if you look at the therapeutic benefit, it's often been, you know, for the, for the older generations with, you know, suffering from chronic pain or under chronic conditions. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think, I think we're an area where the industry has suffered somewhat today um, is um, unfortunately that, um, when we had a bit of the first cannabis boom um, that came, you know, as as it got legalized in in uh, in, in North America and, and and elsewhere, was um, that the product wasn't entirely treated as a pharmaceutical product. It almost it almost came from a legalization of the plant for you know that, that came from a recreational point of view and then was used for for a medicine. Whereas in the UK. We're taking an entirely different approach, right? We, we are, we're much more cautious. We, we, um, if you know, we have to operate like a pharmaceutical company if we want to dispense this as a medicine. So, you know, if we think about what selling and our core, what our core values have been, and, and what we want to really, um, you know, stand for, has really been around those core values of being a pharmaceutical. So, we talk a lot about quality, mm -hmm. right? And we want to ensure that our patients are receiving safe and effective medications. Um, uh, the second has been, you know, um, you know, the ability to supply. So it's very important for us as a brand to be ensure that, you know, when, when a doctor writes a prescription to a patient, the medicine will arrive within 72 hours. It's important. We can't see, you know, we don't want to have a situation where patients don't receive their medications. Right? And the third, as I mentioned, is to make it personable um, yeah. and, and, to, and to have that, um, option for patients and prescribers to actually find the right medication for them and the right combination of THC and CBD and what have you. Yeah. So those are the sort of the core brand values that, that we, um, that we try and, uh, and, um, and live by. Um, but you know, when it comes to, when it comes to brand, it, it, it's all about, um, it's all about proving yourself, right? And, and, and you can only really do that by, um, you know, by delivering. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. so, we're still, you know, I, I don't think this is the end of the, of the road by any means. Um, it's the beginning of a journey for us, but, but it's really interesting in, in terms of figuring out the dynamics of, of how we think of ourselves. And that's why, for example, we don't have the word, you know, cannabis in our name and because it, it's, you know, we're more than that, right? Yeah. At least we want to be more than that. Mm -hmm. um, so, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly a very interesting space. So uh, do you have someone internally um, that is actually sort of taking care of that branding and messaging side or have you worked with someone externally on that? Um, so we've, we've, had, uh, we've had our sort of trusted advisor certainly help us um, mm -hmm. a lot. Um, and that's something I would also recommend anyone is, is to really use your network in terms of helping you. I mean, as a lean organization, we haven't quite yet 
gone out to a, a, a bigger agency, um, you know, to create that. Um, but what we do have is we have a very um, talented um, a person internally who is, mm-hmm. who is helping us create um, a lot of the content and is active on sort of social media and maybe sort of addressing what your earlier question is, you know, we are effectively a B2B. We need to be a B2B um, because our medicines are actually prescribed by clinicians, not to patients directly. But in this space, the patients are so educated. They are actually, and they're very well organized and they're very vocal about what the medication that they need is. So we've had to also be very um, visible with the, with the, with the patient communities. Build trust amongst those patient communities because they often are the ones that will go to their prescribers and sort of tell them what they think works or this is the type of product that works better for me and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's really interesting. I think that's actually a really, it's a really tough challenge to build a B2B brand that still needs to seep through to the consumers and, and, and speak yeah. to both sort of audiences. That's a really tough challenge. I would be very interested to see how you guys play that out moving forward. Um, and I think it's super important, you know, just to touch on this a little bit, the, the, the um, you know, what says a lot is if you look at, you know, patients in the UK today, um, you know, still have a bit of a mistrust as to, you know, um, cannabis, licensed producers and the products they're bringing in. And to, to an extent where certain patients still feel that they have to go and test the products with the third-party labs themselves when they've received it, right? Okay. That, for me, that just speaks volumes about how there's a disconnect in trust amongst yeah. the patient groups. Um, so we need to try and rebuild that trust. And, mm. and that's where it's so important to be able to, you know, um, speak to patients or at least touch into the patient understand and really listen to what their needs are um and, and that's where i think you know we we have a lot of work left as an industry still is to regain that patient trust and and to ensure that we are because they have every right to demand you know that that we uphold but you know highest pharmaceutical standards so absolutely and so i guess that leads us nicely on to talking a little bit about marketing so how do you actually go about building that trust with the patients you know are you guys um you mentioned that you've got someone in-house helping you with you know producing content leveraging that across social media um yeah and i guess that acts as a very you know a baseline for that building that relationship but yeah how is it that you guys uh, approach that yeah, it's a good question. I mean, obviously, being an unlicensed product, we we are not allowed to do any marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, so you know, for us, it's really uh, and and so far the way we've approached it is very much viewing um, different um, you know market access programs or, or observational trials or what have you as the main form of of reaching patients and patient groups via prescribers. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I mentioned, in the cannabis in the cannabis industry in the UK, the patient groups are the ones that have driven the legalization or the rescheduling of of, of cannabis. Um, so they are highly, highly organized. They're very, very educated, um, and so they are um, they are often um, uh, they 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 are often present in a lot of the conversations around in different industry forums and what have you. Sure. Um, so that hasn't been so much the issue. The issue, I think, is more, as I mentioned earlier, been about how do you, how do we differentiate ourselves from just another, you know, um, you know, cannabis company from, you know, 
somewhere. Yeah. Um, and on top of that with, you know, some of the, some of the uh, mistrust that patients have still towards, you know, these, these, some of the, you know, the, the industry in general, mm-hmm. um, that's where the challenge has been to try and actually get a voice out there in terms of that there is a domestic alternative that actually is trying to address some of those key pain points. Um, so that's for us has been more of the, of, of the challenge than, than sort of the acquisition of patients or doing the sort of broad marketing exercises, if you like. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's an incredibly tricky minefield. Um, certainly done some research into it myself and it's just, yeah, I think you guys are definitely approaching it from the right point of view. Um, cause it does get, it gets very tricky as soon as you start, even th- start the conversation talking about, you know, how should we actually think about marketing this or, or expressing our brand values anywhere, especially on the digital space, you know, um, mm. it's just, it's, it's incredibly strict. Um, and, and rightly so in some cases, you know, um, but mm. yeah, aw- awesome stuff. Um, so looking forward then uh onto the roadmap and and a bit into the future i know we've covered a bit of this already but more specifically you know what's what's on the roadmap for you guys moving forward yeah uh very very um relevant and interesting question i think um in the short term our 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 main goal is to um open up the marketplace such that we have more you know let me start a little bit from the beginning here, you know, if we look at, there's about, there's a YouGov study that has shown that there's about 1.4 million patients in the UK today Mm -hmm. that use medical cannabis for some form of therapeutic benefit. Okay. 1.4 million. It's, it's, it's a staggering high number. Um, The number of prescriptions that I've written, as I mentioned, is less than 500, give or take. Okay. So the first the first priority for us is to help patients get those uh, access to, to safe medicines, right? And as I mentioned, the way that we are going about that at Selin is we've done, we partnered up with some other um, producers and drug sciences to create that platform, which will have the single largest hub of prescribing clinicians in the UK, and to start to give patients access toward the data so that we get evidence and we can start to look at, you know, safety protocols and what's the efficacy of the medicines and how do we dose the right way and all these type of things, Mm -hmm. right? That's the first step. I think the second step, though, is we need to move away in the UK from where where cannabis is basically um, orchestrated and prescribed by, um, you know, medical cannabis experts we need that mind shift to be doctors who can prescribe medical cannabis, yeah. right? So we move it from what is an area which is very restricted to certain few clinic, clinics and clinicians to bring it into the primary care. You know, patients, they go to their GPs, right? And that's their first interaction of any indication they have, right? And then they get referred on to. So we need to start to think about how do we get this to disseminate within the primary care and, and, and the existing um, um, you know, healthcare infrastructure rather than just being, you know, completely private in, in, a, in a specialist market. So for selling, we're very much thinking about how do we start to bridge that gap? How do we look at different partnerships and how do we think about using to largest technology to allow uh, for more efficient, um, you know, interactions, patient doctor interactions and, you know, tracking, um, uh, you know, patient tracking and, um, and so on and so forth. 
So we are we are defining a set of of, of products, and you know we'll be rolling them out over the course of of, of the remainder of this year. But that's that's where the future I think lies for us is to start to work uh, work on that. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, I mean, over the next the next few years, I think there's going to be incredible interest um, developed within that industry, especially over here in the UK. And I, mm. I'm super keen to see how you guys. Uh, I guess, develop and translate your current product um, and evolve it into all the other areas that will spring up inevitably. I think mm. um, it's going to be a really interesting journey to follow. But um, before we wrap it up, um, diving a bit more personally, then, you know, looking at your journey over the past couple of years, having been involved with, you know, starting <laughs> up selling and jumping through what is probably like a million different hoops, um, mm. especially when it comes to starting this, this whole um, idea up and, and creating a real thing. Um, you know, what are some of the nuggets of information you would, you would be able to drop for the audience? And, uh, you know, is there anything uh, in specific that you would say, definitely watch out for this or be aware that that exists type of thing? Yeah. Um, Look, I think I think one of the things that I remember one of my um, one of my very close friends who's also done a similar journey in terms of going from working at a, a larger institution to doing a startup, mm-hmm. um, and I remember him and telling it, you know, saying this piece of advice to me, and I just thought, yeah, yeah, I'm sure, I, you know, but didn't really listen. <laughs> but I just have to reiterate the advice, which is just stay focused, literally just stay focused, because you know, at least in my experience. You come from, you know, when you work in large organizations, you come from a place where you have access to resources that you don't really appreciate on a day-to-day basis. But you can, you can deploy your mind in, in, in different sort of areas. You can be thinking about project X, and then you can switch and do project Y and project whatever, right? Then you can you can actually operate in quite a you know large arena and do different things. When you go into startup world and your resources are very very limited. And it's basically just you and maybe a co-founder and maybe a team of a couple of you know people, but not more. Mm-hmm. You have scarce resources, and not only in terms of, of funding, but also your time. Um, you know, you just need to stay highly, highly focused and just try and solve the the problem which is in front of you, and not start to divert too much because the temptation is always there. There's always going to be another new cool opportunity, or you can do this maybe as well, and then you start to sort of build up a, you know, a um, a, a portfolio of work which which just overwhelms you. So, if there's any advice I can give, it's 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 that you know, just stay focused, um, try and solve the, the one problem that that you think is 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 the one that that um, that's going to be important. And then you can grow after that. But that's, that's my advice. So a huge thank you to Selen for speaking to us. You can find them online at selenhealth.com. That's C-E-L-L-E-N health. Or follow them on Twitter at Selen Health. You're listening to the Digital Spaceship Podcast, a marketing journal by Blue Drop Studio, a digital marketing and creative content agency based in London, UK. We're on a mission to grow the tech brands of tomorrow with creative content and social media advertising. Check us out on LinkedIn and bluedropstudio.com or hit us up on social at HeyBlueDrop on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Your hosts are at Anna Rowinska and at Omar K. Juman. If you want to talk about digital marketing for your brand, 
drop us a line at hello at bluedropstudio.com. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.